Last week, a scathing report found that the first aid organisation, St John Ambulance, had for years failed to intervene despite knowledge that children were at risk from a senior figure in its old Kilmainham division in Dublin. The report raises serious questions for the leadership of St John Ambulance today, but also for the state agency Tuzla, which, in 2019, gave St John Ambulance a clean bill of health. This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, how St John Ambulance failed its young volunteers. Jack Power, as a reporter with the Irish Times, you broke this story. In other cases of institutional abuse, we've seen that often it's it's the voice or the determination or the bravery of one survivor who, you know, reaching adulthood brings the story to light. Is that what's happened here? Yeah, so in, in this story, and, and I remember it myself, I, I got a call from Mick Finnegan, who, who was a survivor of childhood sexual abuse in St. John Ambulance, um, who kind of put me on to this story. And I, I recall meeting him, I think it was, you know, during COVID times, probably nearly about three years ago now, when we first sat down in a, on a bench in St. Stephen's Green in the summer of 2020. And, and he effectively told me his story of what had happened to him, how he was abused by um, you know, a former senior figure in the organisation's old Kamenum division. He would fill your head full of ideas where he was going to like get you into the, you know, as a paramedic and you know, you were going to do this and he's going to give you extra training to make you more uh, part of a specialist kind of type thing. And and that's how we kind of started off grooming you. You know, we'd start doing this, giving you free stuff, um, making you feel special. And then he'd kind of then would bring up conversations around um, pulse sites. He would, he would say the most accurate way of doing a pulse was the femoral artery you know, the femoral artery is up in the crease of the groin. And that's how it started. Um, and then he'd force you to do, you know, he'd force you to, he would force you to masturbate him. And then he'd start touching you. And I didn't have a clue. Like I was terrified. And that went on for years. It got it reached the point where he didn't like being told no. And he brought me to a house in... Um, and uh, brought me upstairs and was like, give us a hand with this. And it was always kind of like, there's always a false a false premise with, um, you know, giving him a hand or helping him out. Or, you know, there was times where there were duties where it'd be just me and him. It was always kind of isolated at different places, um, like Dublin Zoo, Mondello Park, um, you know, in the back of, of ambulances on the way back from duties. Um, he had the audacity to, uh, and the the bravery to do that while there were people in the front of the ambulance driving it, and the door he just slide the door across. But it reached the point when I was, you know, a bit older, and yeah, he, I turned around and said, "No, I'm not doing this anymore." And he just pinned me down to the bed and started fucking kicking the shit out of me, like punching me in the back, and yeah, he pulled me trousers down and he and he and he and he raped me, and um. It was, you know, it, it was, I couldn't, you know, I was only a kid, I couldn't fight him off, I couldn't, you know, do anything. Um, and uh, I remember when he finished, he just 
pulled up his trousers, pulled up mine and was like, right, let's get you home. As if there was, as if nothing happened. He told people at the time, he'd reported it to the organisation at the time. And, you know, 20 years later, he'd still serious concerns that he hadn't been taken seriously. He hadn't been believed. Nothing really had been done. And so we told Mick's story in the Irish Times, along with two other um, survivors who we were able to kind of track down, who all bravely um, spoke publicly for the first time um, in telling their story, which painted a, pa- a pattern um, detailing you know, historical abuse in the organisation you know, by the same former senior figure. And on foot of that, I suppose that's where the story really took off from. Um, and you know, we continue to report on the story. We continue to investigate. Um, more men came forward who spoke to us to, to to tell their story. Former volunteers came forward to say that they'd heard rumours and suspicion, and that um, you know, spoke about the the awareness that the risk that this alleged perpetrator posed to children at the time, and how it was a known thing in the organisation. And and on foot of that, you know, kind of bravery from from Mick, who who really has pushed this story. Um, from the start and others who came forward afterwards. You know, on foot of that, Geoffrey Shannon's report was commissioned and, and over a year and a half, it delved further into this. Now, Dr Geoffrey Shannon has delivered his report investigating child protection issues at St John Ambulance. What were the key findings? So the findings of Dr Shannon's report were um, in St John Ambulance that for decades and years failed to address or investigate significant concerns and awareness and suspicions that children um, were effectively being allegedly abused in the first aid organisation. I found that the structure of the organisation set up in a kind of quasi-military fashion that had a real deference to rank and status effectively facilitated predatory behaviour in the organisation. And his report, um, which ran to more than 300 pages, really found that there were major concerns with how cases were handled in the past and also, I suppose, more concerningly for parents today, issues around the current uh, child uh, protection measures. Before we go much further, what is St John Ambulance? Like, what does it do? Uh, Is it a large organisation? How is it structured? Where does it get its funding? Yes, so St John Ambulance is uh, more than 100 years old in Ireland. It's effectively a first aid organisation where, you know, kind of often young uh, teenagers and children will join to learn about first aid, you know, go on first aid training and courses. And then over the course of that, would attend kind of first aid duties, which is probably where most people day to day would see them, for example, providing first aid at maybe matches at the Aviva Stadium or Dublin Zoo, big events like said the Papal Visit or even the other day at the St. Patrick's Day Parade. They're going to be on hand to you know, provide first aid support or services to people you know injured at, at those big events or matches. And where does it get its funding? So it doesn't receive any state funding. Um, and its funding primarily, say, comes from um, those companies that might hire its services out, like the Aviva Stadium or Dublin Zoo, and also it gets some funding from its membership fees. Um, so it's not a very asset or cash-rich organisation. I think looking through its accounts uh, for the most recent year, it only had about 1.2 million in members' funds and only about um, 800,000 in, in income. It's entirely voluntary. It has a small number of staff that work in its head office on on Leeson Street, but the the vast bulk of you know all the, the major roles, like it's the head um, of the organisation, is all voluntary. It's board are voluntary, and you know the the people that make up the the officers and all its divisions across the country are, are voluntary. 
Who commissioned the report and what was the scope of the report? Yes, the report was commissioned by St. John Ambulance in early um, 2021 to investigate how the organisation had handled past allegations of child abuse, but also to look at its current day policies and practices to examine whether they were fit for purpose in the present day. And did the report find that St. John's Ambulance knew that in the past some of its adult volunteers were a risk to children? Yeah, so this was one of the main findings of the report and, and one of the most damning findings of the report that it said there was a significant awareness that a former senior figure in the organisation um, was a risk to children. And, and you know, th- that man who you know, we've been investigating in our reporting in the Irish Times, um, we understand, is, is now accused of molesting at least 15 boys uh, who were in St. John Eminence as youth cadets between the late 1960s and the late 1990s before he was removed in around the year 2000. But no charges have been brought. So the guards have investigated a number of criminal complaints against him and I think on four occasions uh, where, you know, survivors have come forward to say and make criminal complaints to the guards that they were abused as children by this man. The guards on four occasions sent files to the Director of Public Prosecutions but in each of those cases the DPP opted against taking a prosecution. Um, and now I understand there's at least two further ongoing guard investigations which which may come before the the DPP and you know the the man himself the the alleged perpetrator is I think still living in in Dublin I think he's aged in his his late eighties at the moment. So, for its part, St John's Ambulance said that whatever about what happened before the year 2000, that it did have child protection measures in place since 2000. But the report uh, found that these measures were not fit for purpose. Yeah, so one of the main findings of the report was also that in respect of current child protection policies and practices, that a continued resistance to change in the organisation and this continued deference to rank and status of senior officers posed an ongoing threat to keeping children safe in the in the present day. Geoffrey Shannon found that up until I think it was 2011, he said the organisation had what he described as an unsafe child protection um, system and, and practice. And even after that point, um, that there was still serious issues, for example, recent cases that he'd found of inappropriate behaviour between adult volunteers and, and young cadets and, and more concerningly recent cases of alleged child sexual abuse in the organisation. So how has St John's Ambulance responded? So I think the findings of the report would have likely come as a significant shock to the organisation. It's taken some time to review the report, which was actually sent to them in late last November by by Geoffrey Shannon and was only published in recent weeks. And I suppose their response has been to issue for the first time a kind of a full, unreserved apology from the organisation. It said it effectively admitted and accepted Dr. Shannon's findings that its structures in the past facilitated um, the grooming and abuse of children in its organisation. And so it said it will it will work now and kind of go forward now to try and address all of Dr. Shannon's recommendations for change in respect of updating its its current child protection um, policies and, and procedures. And, you know, reputational damage you know, surely has to come into play because you said that some of its funding, a large part of its funding, comes from its members attending events to offer first aid. So what's happening there? Yeah, so I suppose that's really where the story may kind of move now into the future. 
looking at you know all those you know, big organizations that we all know so the Aviva Stadium or um, as I said Dublin Zoo FAI RFU Leinster Rugby who use them is that what will they do on foot of the findings of Dr Shannon's report particularly the criticism of current day policy and, and safeguards you know, previously I'd um, in investigating the story I'd questioned a lot of those organizations and most of them had previously always said that you know they'd been given assurances by St John Ambulance that everything was in order and they were in line with best safeguarding practices and policies. So I suppose Dr. Jeffrey Shannon's report really contradicts a lot of those past assurances that were provided. So, I mean, it will be interesting to see what steps those organisations and services take now to really um, get kind of guarantees St. John Ambulance and their volunteers and their systems and their structures is, you know, as safe as place as it can be for, for children in the present day if they're going to continue to use them for their first aid um, services at games and events and matches. TUSLA is the state's child and family agency. What has been its role in all this? Yeah, so TUSLA, as you say, who effectively the, the state's um, child protection service um, or kind of watchdog, previously and somewhat controversially, when a TD queried historical concerns about St. John Ambulance, the then chief executive of TUSLA, I think it was in late 2019, responded to say that TUSLA had no evidence or concerns that there were any systemic or organisational abuse in St. John Ambulance. And also went further to say they had no concerns about current day practices in St. John Ambulance. Um, and then following on from that, in I think it was September 2020, Tusla again um, responded and wrote to St. John Ambulance to say they had no concerns with their current practices. And I suppose what's more concerning about that second letter was it came a month after we in the Irish Times had published our first story following an investigation detailing historical abuse in, in St. John Ambulance. So after the story broke publicly, Tusla again um, said that it had, you know, kind of um, full assurance in the current practices in St. John Ambulance. And that's really been kind of those past assurances of confidence have really been brought into the spotlight on foot of um, Dr. Geoffrey Shannon's report. Kathleen Funchen, chairperson of the Oireachtas Children's Committee. Are you concerned that a child safeguarding statement was signed off on by Tusla, who then come back and say that they're they're actually not in a position uh, to ensure that the procedures outlined in that statement are followed? I do think that raises some very serious questions and I, and I would have concerns and we hope to have that discussion as a committee, as a children's committee with TUSLA. Um, in, in so TUSLA have kind of been on the back foot since the publication of Shannon's report um, in recent weeks to try and explain itself. And what TUSLA have effectively said is that it doesn't have the power as a state body to go in and investigate our organisations, you know, a safe place for children. It only has a kind of a very limited role in reviewing a kind of a, a safeguarding statement, as they call it, which is, you know... A, like a paper-based. A paper-based, paper uh, effectively, you know, a, a record um, that's published online for organisations that work with children that say these may be the risks to children, potential risks in our organisation, you know, whether it's St John Ambulance, the, the Scouts, swimming, you know, whatever it is. And these are the measures we take to mitigate those risks. So TUSLA, um, in their role, review those statements and ascertain as to whether... Um, those statements comply with requirements on paper. But there's no actual follow-on there to dig into 
are those statements being you know implemented properly or are they being ignored or is child protection you know practice um on the ground um you know a kind of a cause for concern so Tuslev said they don't have the power to do that and no state body has the power to do that and that's something now that almost has been exposed you'd say um as kind of a gap in our system you know, as a as a country or as, as a state for keeping children safe or trying to audit how the various organisations that work with children kind of keep children safe in practice. So presumably the government is going to have to say something about that. But what has it said about the report now that it's been published? Yeah, so um, the Department of Children, which would probably be the main department dealing with this, and, and Roderick Gorman have said they're um, giving urgent consideration to the findings of the report. And, you know, with particular focus, they're looking to try and immediately... Um, address and follow up on uh, the concerns with current practices that Geoffrey Shannon criticised. Um, I think I expect that um, the Oireachtas Committee for Children and Youth Affairs is planning to hold hearings on this, you know, inviting Tusla in, inviting St John Ambulance in to question them. And I, I, I suspect the particular focus of those questions and hearings will be rather than the historical failings and the historical abuse, will be on the current present day shortcomings. Um, which, as I said, you know, would be more concerning for, say, a parent who might have a young teenage child in the organisation today. I note from your report that at the end of it, you know, you often feature a telephone number and it's the Tusla has set up a helpline for other survivors now to, to get in touch. Um, but what can Tusla offer to, to these survivors who do get in touch? Yeah, so Tusla have said in the, in the wake of the report that, you know, they've set up a helpline I understand a number of um, people have come forward to that helpline who, who hadn't previously come forward to disclose being abused in St. John Ambulance. And what that's really for is to try and signpost them towards some counselling services, potentially HSE counselling services or counselling services like one in four, the abuse survivors group. But, you know, as we know from hearing regularly, a lot of those counselling services are, are oversubscribed in terms of one in four. I know have a, a significant kind of waiting list it's, I suppose it's kind of a cold comfort uh, to some survivors who may be in a particular period of distress at the moment that, um, you know, you may be given a number or details for a counselling service, but be facing into a significant wait of several months before you'd, um, you'd actually get to, to speak to somebody or a counsellor. So what happens now? Will there be any, you know, compensation or redress for the men who suffered abuse while they were children in the organisation? Yeah, so often in, in these cases um, where it's, it's not the state um, who, who's liable, um, victims and survivors pursue redress or compensation through the courts by taking a civil claim against the organisation. So to date, I think six men at least are are taking civil cases against St. John Ambulance in the High Court. And they can often take you know several years to kind of run through the court system and usually kind of a settlement agreement is reached. You know, some years later, you know, settlements in in historical child abuse cases, you know, can often run into kind of six figure sums, with kind of hefty legal costs as well. So I suppose it's it's a serious question for the kind of future viability or health of the organisation in St John Ambulance that you know it, it it's facing millions likely of of euros in costs uh, related to those six cases. And you can imagine in the wake of this that if um, significant more number of men come forward and decide to pursue redress through the courts that, you know, it will pose a significant um, financial financial risk to the future of the organisation. Survivors uh, often have a very clear idea 
what they want to happen in the broader picture, if you like. So you've been talking to survivors. The report is one thing. But what do they want to happen now? Yeah, so you know, speaking to a lot of the men who, who came forward who, who were abused in St. John, I mean, it's on the day that the report was published. And, you know, a lot of them really just felt this this weight of vindication that they, they, they'd finally been believed, they'd been heard, you know, their truth in terms of what they know knew about um, there being an awareness of this guy had really been borne out in Dr. Shannon's report. And, um, you know, several of the men said, you know, they wanted to see the board of St. John Ambulance step down and resign and for, you know, a clean slate to be to be put in place in the organisation. And um, that's something that the board to date has resisted doing for the moment. The men and the survivors also said that, you know, they wanted to really be sure that the organisation was the safest place it could be today for children. So that something as horrific as happened to them when they were vulnerable teenage boys wouldn't be able to happen to somebody in today's organisation who joins St. John Ambulance as a cadet today. And so that's really, I suppose, one thing that the organisation will have to work to address that those failings in child protection standards that Dr. Shannon outlined. And, you know, I recall one one of the survivors is speaking to me on the day who said he was um, allegedly abused in the 1970s um, by the same former figure we've been reporting on. And he, he said it was it was great to hear St. John Ambulance apologise um, and offer him an unreserved apology. But he said it was effectively 50 years too late coming. Jack, I know you've got more reporting to do on St. John Ambulance. Thanks for joining us in the studio today. Thanks, Mel. For more Irish Times journalism, including Jack Power's ongoing reports into issues at St. John Ambulance, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon. In the news, we'll be back on Monday.